Amen. God bless you. It's good to see you this morning. Looks like a lot of our folks took an early Thanksgiving, don't it? Crawford was telling me, he said, you know, crowd smaller, one would just go, go prophesying over everybody. Uh, I said, they might not like the prophecies I give. It'd be yay, yay, saith the Lord, get your butt in church. Hallelujah. No, I'm just. Okay. But I, uh, I do say to you that uh, I will say this while, I, while we're doing worship. Uh, I don't know who this is for. I believe it's for somebody, obviously. But, you know, we, I just felt like God saying a lot of times we need more Josephs of Arimathea, not Joseph Old Covenant. But he had a desire, and it's like he ministered to what he thought was dead. And he didn't even know in doing that and what he knew was dead, but he didn't. He ministered to the body, to Christ, and it looked dead. And uh, he didn't even realize he was fulfilling a prophecy. He was fulfilling scripture because it was prophesied of Jesus that he would be laid in a tomb in which no man had ever laid. And Joseph of Arimathea, this, this man of great means and wealth, he, he placed that body in his own tomb. In other words, he ministered to the body even though it looked dead. And, and maybe this morning some of you, and I don't know if it could be a marriage or what, or what it is, but just keep ministering. Just keep ministering to that body. Even though it may look dead, there's going to be resurrection for it. You believe in that? Everything we do is based on the power of resurrection. Amen? And, um, and you, just, you just be encouraged. Just don't, sometimes we give up too quick. We give up too quick on, on marriage. We give up too quick on people. And uh, you have to allow people sometimes to process their pain and go through things in their life because we all respond to things differently. And uh, so just, just allow that. Amen. Well, happy Thanksgiving to you. Amen. God bless you. Look over at somebody and tell them happy Thanksgiving in case you miss it. Uh, I'm not going to preach on Thanksgiving, but I thought I'd mention it. Today's title is, is this, is simply this, is God always in a good mood? Is God always in a good mood? How many thinks that God is always in a good mood? <laughs> Do you believe not every hand went up? <laughs> How many believe God's not always in a good mood? Howard, you know better. Oh, okay. You know, one thing about <laughs> one thing about grace preachers is that we're known, I guess, for saying that God is always in a good mood. And uh, I guess you'd have to define what a good mood is and to whom the good mood is aimed towards. But uh, I want to I want to deal with uh, a passage of scripture. In Romans 11 and 22, we'll just read it, and uh, it is used a lot of times to sow fear and terror into the children of God, and it's been twisted, uh, this verse has, into a works-based message of conditional salvation that is actually a million miles from what the Apostle Paul was writing about. 
uh, verse 11 and 22 says, Therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fail, severity, but toward you, goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. Now, I do want to draw your attention if you're reading a King James or a New King James. It doesn't show on our screens, I don't think. But the word, uh, if you continue in his, the word his is italicized, which means it's not in the original manuscripts. And it was added by the translators. Uh, they would have done more justice if they just left it like it was. Because it says, if you continue in goodness, uh, otherwise you also will be cut off. And so a lot of times this verse is taken and pulled out of context and for several reasons. For one reason, to, to scare people into keeping them straight. And uh, secondly, it, it, is, uh, it is used to try to say to people, preachers, that you need to preach a balanced message of God's goodness and his severity, which uh, the Bible doesn't present the goodness and severity of God in a balanced way. The Apostle Paul didn't, and the Scriptures themselves doesn't. The, 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 the scale is always tilted to the goodness of God. When the Bible says God is love, that pretty well settles it. And so, but I want to I look at this today and, uh, and maybe help you to, to clarify that because I get this one sent to me sometimes, uh, not from messages I preach, but from blogs I write and things like that. So, Father, we ask you to help us today in Jesus' name. Declare your truth, your word, and your grace in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Uh, let, let me ask you this. What if the only verse you had, now you have to pretend with me, but let's just pretend for, for a moment that John chapter 2, verse 15 is the only verse you ever read in the New Testament. It's the only verse you ever read. And... Uh, and what that verse says, it says, when he had made whips of cords, who's he talking about here? He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus comes in, he, he contemplates making a weapon. He makes a whip made up of cords. He has to sit there and, and do it. So he's not like he spur of the moment, you know, just reacted. He drove out them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overturned their tables. Now, let me ask you something. I want you to think about this. What if that's the only verse you ever had of Jesus? In other words, the only verse you ever read about this man, Jesus, was that he, went, he made him a weapon. He went into the temple. He starts uh, using it to drive out the money changers. He turns over tables and throws them all out. Let's just pretend. What if that's the only verse you ever read about Jesus? Would your opinion of him be totally different than it is today? Absolutely. Let me ask you this, is that an inaccurate verse? No, the verse is accurate, it's the word of God. It can't be inaccurate, it's an accurate verse, but it's not inaccurate, it's incomplete. It's an incomplete verse. Now, you've got to keep this in mind because when people read verses like I read in Romans 11, um, they, they get things all messed up because of how they approach God's word and how they approach God from their biased religious point of view. Now, see, you, you got to understand this, that until Jesus came, nobody knew who God really was. Not really. In other words, the Old Testament, now let me say something to this. Uh, God didn't morph into a different God in the New Testament. 
God has always been the same God. And there was this guy, and it's not important that you know that, but sometimes people that preach grace, you'll actually get accused of being a, a Marcionist. And what it is is there was a guy in the second century. Uh, his name was Marson, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, I believe. He was born in Turkey, but he was really known as the first heresy that really hit the church. And he taught all over, uh, you know, in that area, and was well known for it, a, a dualistic view of God. In other words, he said and taught that the God that sent Jesus into the world was a different God than the God of Zion, of the Old Covenant. He said he was a higher deity. And he taught that, and he taught a, 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 a dualistic God that was totally different than the God we read about in the Old Testament. And so you got to understand this, from Genesis to Malachi, nobody ever referred to God in the Old Covenant as Father. Nobody knew God as their Heavenly Father. Nobody ever used that phrase. Nobody related to him. They called him the ancient of days, the supreme, the all-knowing and all that. But they didn't refer to him as father because we did not know God as father until Jesus came. That's why in John chapter 6, 46, Jesus said, not, he said, no one has seen the father. Not anyone has seen the father except he who is from God, he has seen the father. Jesus said, none of y'all have seen the father. Uh, the reason he's saying that is because he came to show us the Father. Now listen, until Jesus came, nobody really knew really what God was like. And so, listen, there's only one person. There's only one person who can accurately explain God, and that's God himself. So Jesus is God explaining God to the human race. And there are some people, even today, that call themselves New Testament Christians, that they act like and live like, and their theology is, is, is such that they act like they did not need the revelation of God that Jesus brought. So when they want to argue with you, they refer to Job. And they say things like, well, what about Job? And what about this? I just say I'm not a disciple of Job. I'm not a follower of Job. I've read Job. It's in the book. It's, it's beneficial, but it is an inaccurate, incomplete view of the Father. It's like pulling the verse of the whips and the turning. That's an, that's an accurate view, but it is incomplete view. And so what we see of the God of the Old Covenant is, those, listen, those people are relating to God through a law-keeping covenant system. That's what they're doing. And they're, they're writing about God under the inspiration, yes, of the Holy Spirit, but they're writing about God from that law-keeping covenant relationship that they have with this God. But they do not know him, really, as Father. They don't know him. He doesn't indwell them. He, they've not been made one spirit with him. So, I mean, our privileges are so much greater than, than, than anything that anybody in the Old Covenant. The, you know, that's why Jesus said, it's to your advantage if I go away. Because the Holy Spirit would come upon people, but he would leave them. That's why David would pray things like when he repented in Psalm 51, oh Lord, take not thy Holy Spirit from me. But you should never pray that. Because to pray that is to say God is a liar. Because God said that he's made you one spirit with the Lord. And he will never take that from you. He will never leave you, he'll never forsake you. Man, that's good news not to even get one amen out of. 
He, so you, but yet we still have people that are relating to God in their mind on what they think they know from an old covenant perspective. So, I mean, Jesus, Jesus is God. Remember they said, show us the Father. He said, you're looking at him. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus came to show us what the Father is really like, who the Father really is. Jesus was God, Emmanuel, God with us. So God was explaining God. Nobody can explain God but God. And God was explaining God. God, through Christ, put a body and a face and, and hands and legs on this invisible God. In the Old Covenant, he was invisible. He was thunder and lightning from Mount Sinai. He was all those things, but he was, but he was not touchable. He was not really relatable. In fact, the children of Israel told Moses, you go out to that mountain, you meet with God, you come back and tell us what he said, because we're afraid of him. We don't want to go out there. We don't want to, you know, we don't want to go out there. You come and tell us. And, and, and they didn't have that relationship with God that you and I have. So when you get to verses like Romans 11 and 22, where he, Paul is writing, but again, like I've always told you, to take a, a, a uh, verse out of context, to, if you take it out of context, you will be conned by the text. Don't go snatching one verse out and try to prove something. You, you, you got to see in where he's talking to, to whom it's relating to, and to whom God is speaking. So Romans 11 has been used. Now, if you come, like most of us in this church, listening to this and listening to me on Facebook or whatever, you guys that, like me, were raised in a mixed grace law system where we had a mixture taught to us of grace and law. We were like, yes, you were saved by grace, but then you're kept by your performance, really. That's what it boiled down to. But I, I want, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you're saved by grace and you're also kept by grace. Uh, can you say amen? So, uh, I, but anytime I really get to bearing down, I write blogs or whatever about the goodness of God, I can just about guarantee you somebody's going to write back to me and they're going to call for balance or they're going to try to, I mean, if people studied the Bible to just prove how great he is, as hard as they study it to try to disprove that he's, you know, he's not that good, I mean, they'd really know all the scripture. But you see, God is kind, they say. Yes, Brother Dale, God is kind, but he's also severe. And so you better watch yourself or God will cut you off. Because that's what this verse says, or you'll be cut off. And uh, you hear, do you hear that? And we wonder why unbelievers are really unmoved by what we do. They don't want to come. They're not interested. Who, who wants to serve a God like that? And, and you know, but we're, we're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. And I don't have time to go into all the verses because that's not my main point today. But your eternal security absolutely rests on God's promises and not on your performance. Can you say amen to that? But the, but the, but the mixed message folk, the insecure, they don't believe it no matter how many times they hear it. They just don't believe it. They read a passage like the one I read in Romans eleven twenty two, and they worry they'll be cut off if they fail to continue in God's goodness. It says if you don't continue in his goodness, you'll be cut off. And what a miserable way to live. So how do you continue uh, in God's goodness? Well, the, in, the insecure can't even tell you. They, they're unsure. They don't know. But it, they'll go this, well, it probably has something to do with me trying harder, working harder, being good, and hoping for the best. I just hope I make it. 
you know, kind of a deal. That's a miserable way to live. Let's, let's look what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 11, verse 19. He said to them, he said, You will say then, branches were broken off, that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Now, don't be haughty, but fear. Now, what he's talking about here is he's, look what verse 20 does not say. It doesn't say God broke them off. It doesn't say that. It says they were broken off by what? By their unbelief. In other words, self-inflicted. By their own unbelief. And, and so when he's talking about branches were broken off, what's he talking about? See, th this is about belief. This is not about behavior or performance. It's about faith. It's not about works. Uh, they were broken off because the scripture said of unbelief, but he told them that he's talking to, but you stand, you stand by faith. So continuing in God's goodness uh, is less about working and more about trusting. Can you say amen to that? So what's Paul talking about? Or let me say it like this. Who is he talking to? Who, who's he talking about? Uh, who are the they that were broken off? And who are the you that were grafted in? All right, Paul is not, listen to me, Paul is not speaking about individuals. He is not speaking about the church. He is talking about two groups of people groups, Jews and Gentiles. And in fact, in verse 13 of Romans 11, the same chapter, Paul says, but I speak to you Gentiles. So the you is the Gentiles. The, the them, they, is the Jewish people. So he's talking to people groups. He's talking to two groups of people. So the nation of Israel as a group was broken off, and the Gentiles as a group were grafted in. All right, but who, who did the breaking off and who did the grafting in? It came down to individuals who believed the gospel. And if they believed, regardless whether they were Jew or Gentile, they were grafted in. And, and, and so Romans chapter 10, verse 12 says, there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks, Gentiles. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who do what? To call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be what? And so it doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile. If you call on the name of the Lord because you're putting your trust, confidence, and faith in him, you shall be saved. But if you don't call on him, you're not going to be saved. And so it's not like people that, you know, declare the, uh, a message of grace don't believe in the wrath of God. Yeah, there is the wrath of God. But see, the, the Bible says, and I didn't give these guys this verse. I was sitting there thinking about it. Uh, earlier and it, it's in John chapter 3 where Jesus is talking it starts out and he's meeting with Nicodemus and he it's really about you must be born again and salvation and all that but but what he says in, in the last two verses of John chapter 3 he says in verse 35 the father loves the son how many believes the father loves the son uh, he loves the son and he's given all things into his hand and then in verse 36 he who believes in the son has what kind of life? Not temporary life, contingent upon your performance. Everlasting life. It's called everlasting because it lasts forever. Okay? He, he has, not, not will have if he lives right, he has, has, past tense, he has everlasting life. What caused him to have everlasting life? Believing on the Son. 
He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, now what is the wrath of God? God's wrath is poured out upon sin, and Jesus paid the price for that. If you, God loves the Son because the Son laid down his life for us while we were yet sinners. If you reject God's remedy, God's medicine, if you will, for our terminal illness, which is sin, there remains nothing else for you but the wrath of God. Because you're saying, I will pay for my own sin, I refuse to accept what he did. I will stand on my own righteousness. I refuse and I reject his righteousness. Like I've told you before, listen, the most offensive thing those Jewish priests could do is after Christ hung on the cross, died, was buried, was resurrected, and God himself ripped the veil in the temple. For them, the next Sabbath, to offer a sacrificial animal was the most offensive act that could be performed by those priests. Now, on the old covenant, when when, when Abinadab and uh, Nahayu, whatever the guy's name, when they offered strange fire. Remember that? Under the Mosaic Covenant. I mean, they were turned into charcoal briquettes instantly. Right? Anybody read the Bible and know and say amen to that? I mean, they didn't even, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, do-overs. Or, you know, I'm sorry, my bad. It was, you gone. You know, ashes. That's it. Strange fire in the temple. Now, here come these guys after the resurrection of Christ, and they're offering lambs again. And they all get to offer a lamb and go home and eat supper. And God didn't kill one of them. Grace. 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 It's not that God didn't have grace in the old covenant. Sure, he had grace. Everybody knows the sun stood still one day while Joshua won the battle. But nobody knows what battle was going on. That same Joshua got lied to by a group of people that God told him to exterminate the Gibeonites. But Joshua didn't do it. He disobeyed. He got deceived by them. And so he made a covenant not to harm them. So he's God's man. God honors the covenant. Now one day the Gibeonites get pursued by these multiple armies. And they're coming to wipe out the Gibeonites, and the Gibeonites come and remind Joshua, you made a covenant with us, not let any harm come to us, and these armies are marching against us, come help us. And so here we have this Jewish, if you will, commander, Joshua, God's man, who goes and fights for Gentiles, and, 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 and he don't have enough daylight to, to, to defeat all of them, and he asks God for a miracle, and God stops the earth from rotating. <laughs> Y'all ain't even getting this. He stops the earth from rotating and keeps the sun shining while God, Joshua can win the battle. And God did it for some people that was supposed to have been exterminated, not even deserving of the covenant, not part of the covenant. That's called grace. And God, and God was that God in the old covenant. And he's always been that God. And he didn't morph into a different God and a different, but they were relating to him based on a law-keeping covenant. And, 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 and so that's why when people like this, this guy uh, from Turkey, Marson, when he, he just couldn't deal with it with his mind, he just said, that's, that's got to be two different gods. 
They're, they're, they're so, no, he, he just missed all the nuances and the revelations in the old covenant of God's grace being extended and poured out to people that were undeserving, just like every one of us in this room. Amen. And, you know, but when you read that, you know, uh, you know, where God says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, God's desire is to bless everybody. God's desire and will is that none should perish, but all should come to repentance. Is that right? But listen, guys, but not everyone receives his blessing. As a group, the, 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 Jew, the Jews tried to earn his favor, and they were cut off. But who cut them off? They cut themselves off. Now, if you just read that, that sounds like divine judgment as though God was rejecting them. But did God reject them? No. Paul answers that in verse 1 of Romans 11. Look, look in Romans 11, 1. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. He said, I'm an Israelite myself. I'm of the seed of Abraham. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. In other words, God didn't cast nobody off as a Jew because if he cast off the Jews, I'd be cast off. But he said, God's not cast off. He's looking at verse 2. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. You see how clear that is? God's not cutting people off whether they're Jew or Gentile. He, he's, he's not doing that. And so what, what happens is the condemnation of your own unbelief is self-inflicted wound. In other words, you cut your own self off. You know, when you refuse his blessing, then guess what? You won't be blessed. And what is the picture of not being blessed? Cursed. Is God cursing anybody today? No. God's not cursing anybody. But, but, but the, the curse is the absence of the blessing. And what causes the absence of the blessing is you don't believe in the blesser. So what is God's goodness? He said, if you don't continue in God's goodness, you'll be cut off. And again, it's not saying, God's not saying, if you don't believe in my goodness, I'll cut you off. Now, you've heard it preached that way by scary preachers, but they're giving a wrong view of God. And that's a million miles, like I said, from what the Apostle Paul is teaching and talking about in Romans 11. What is God's goodness? God's goodness refers to grace, his unmerited favor, God's grace, which comes to us through the person Jesus Christ. And so to continue in God's goodness, listen to me, this is not hard, but to continue in God's goodness is to continue in God's grace. And to continue in God's grace means to continue in Christ Jesus. See how simple that was? So what about God's severity? Well, let me tell you this. Here's what Romans 11, 22 don't say. Here's the wrong way to interpret the severity passage. Well, I just need to keep working hard for God and keep 100% of his commandments, never mess up and avoid, you know, I don't want to get cut off. Or you're going through some real tough times and things are not happening like you want to have. Maybe God's cut me off. Maybe I'm just cut off from God. That's what the Jews thought. And what it did is it led to their downfall. Uh, by, by what they did is they put their confidence not in Jesus because they didn't believe in him, but they put their confidence in their own performance and, and, and by doing that, they rejected God's grace. Uh, they, they basically said the blood of Jesus amounts to nothing. We'll trample over it. It's, it's no good. It didn't accomplish anything. We still got to keep the law to be accepted by God. And so what Romans 11 and 6 says, if by grace, then it is no longer by works. And if it were, 
grace will no longer be grace, he said. So who really is in danger of being cut off? I want to tell you, it's not those who are joined to the Lord. You understand that when you got born again, the Bible said you were joined unto the Lord. You were knit to him, that you were made one spirit with him. And, 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 and you, you are saved by Jesus, and you are also kept by Jesus. You, you are one with the Lord. And listen, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. That means no man can put it asunder. Why? Because God's joined it together. John chapter 10, 28, God says this, I give them eternal life. What kind of life? It's not temporary, is it? God said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Never what? Perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. No one. Okay? But what if I stop continuing in his goodness, Brother Dale? What if I stop doing that? Well, Paul answers that question when he talks about the importance of continuing in faith, walking in faith. And listen, I'm telling you there are consequences to not continuing in God's goodness, for not walking in it and enjoying the, the benefit and the peace that that brings in your life. But you are part of the body of Christ, and Jesus does not self-amputate. Did you hear that? Well, what happens if I deny the Lord? He'll cut me off. Well, Peter denied him three times on one night, and he didn't cut him off. He called down curses on himself and said, I don't even know the man. He didn't cut him off. In fact, he pursued him. He found out where he was fishing and went and stood and made breakfast for him. With no guarantee he'd eat it. And then reached out and hollered out to him and beckoned him to come. And restored his confidence in his love towards Peter. Amen? That's not a picture of what we hear with people trying to take verses like this and try to scare you. But see, you've got you to know this. It's how you approach God. It's how we, we've all been tinted and tainted, really, if we're honest, most of us. That's why I'm glad my grandbabies will never have to go through what I've had to go through. My grandchildren won't. All they've ever heard and all they'll ever know is about a God of grace. They will not have to be untaught religion. What an awesome place that would be. Because I would read passages like this as a young believer and they would scare me to death. And I would wonder, am I being cut off? What if I do this? Would, would I be cut off? See, I want to tell you something. You've got to remember what I told you. Paul is addressing people groups. Two people groups, Jews and Gentiles, and he's not talking to individual persons. And I want to guarantee he's not talking to a believer in Christ who has accepted Christ as their Savior. None of this is talking about being cut off from Christ. None of these verses apply to Christians. Romans 11, listen, it is a warning, but it's a warning to those people who, like the Jews, stubbornly refuse the grace of God, and they stubbornly refuse to accept his goodness. And when they do that, they reject his blessing, then yourself, you, 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 you're, you're cutting yourself off from what? The only source of life. That's why the Bible says, if it, you know, there, there remaineth no more sacrifice, Hebrews says. In other words, if you, if, if you disregard Christ, then there is no sacrifice for sin. 
I used to have people read those verses to me out of Hebrews and try to scare you like that. You know, like you're going to, you know, you're doomed and you've committed the unpardonable sin and you can't be saved. Listen, the only sin that is unpardonable is the sin of rejecting God's Son whom He sent into this world to save you. That's unpardonable. I've said this before, but I say it again. It always generates a comment or two over the internet. Nobody will go to hell for being a murderer or a rapist or for lying or cheating or stealing. Nobody will go to hell for committing adultery or fornication or any other sin you want to fill in the blank for. None of them will. The only sin that will send a person to perish is the sin of rejecting Jesus Christ as your means to life. That's it. Well, why does it say all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire? Because they're still liars. But they're not going there because they're liars. They didn't become the righteousness of God. I want to tell you, heaven would be filled with liars. I'm going to have a drink on that one. There'd be a bunch of liars in heaven because you're going to be there. And I'm going to be there. I'm not making light of lying. I'm not saying it's lie, you know, willy-nilly. I'm not saying that. But you lie. <laughs> How you doing? I'm fine. You lie. Just don't lie. You're not fine. How you like this dress? Oh, it's beautiful. Get in the car. I can't believe what she wore. Can you believe what she had? <laughs> Don't kid yourself, man. This room is full of liars. This, this, this is what Romans, that same book, chapter 8, says. I, I want to encourage you, if Romans chapter 11 scares you, flip back two chapters to Romans 8 and just keep reading that until you get real secure and then start reading on further. Do that for me, okay? Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. That just means Daddy, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, not will be, children of God. You know what? The Holy Spirit says you belong to your Heavenly Father. You are his dearly beloved child. He has adopted you. It is legal and it is eternal. If a sermon on Romans 11 fills you with fear, then go back and read these passages over and over in Romans 8 until you get it in your system. Nothing in, shall be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. No, it doesn't matter what it is. Death, life, it, it doesn't matter what it is. And so you, 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 you have to know that. You got you got to know what God's word, and I, you know, and I and I and I do. My my desire is there. There there is wrath. The New Testament mentions it a few times, but it is not a balanced view. It's not fifty percent the goodness of God, fifty percent wrath. You know, you know. It, you, how many's heard of carrots and sticks? You know that phrase, right? Carrots and sticks. Feed them carrots, but keep the stick going too. So if you do good, you get a carrot. If you don't, you get the stick. 
And, and that's, a, that's a perfect picture of a mixed message, uh, uh, you know, doctrine, theology, or church. I had precious people, they're probably listening and watching me right now on Facebook that live in Texas. And I'm, I, th- I don't know if I mentioned this or they're not. And if I did, forgive me. But uh, I actually re- replied to their email this week. But, uh, you know, their heart was just reaching out to me. Did I have any suggestions uh, to help them, you know, to how to deal? With, they moved, you know, they came here, they moved to Texas, and, and they just said they can't find a church that preaches the grace of God. And they go to church and they try this church and they go to this church and, 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 and invariably they hear the preacher bring out the stick and it brings out the threats and he brings out the thing and it's a mixed message and they just sit there and it breaks their heart and they're shaking their head on the inside at least and they don't go back to that church again. And they've gone from church to church to church. And I didn't really have any magical suggestion other than my prayer would be that God would help them to find a place in a, in a house that is preaching the undiluted, pure goodness of God. And I don't know why the church is still terrified of just seeing the goodness of God in his, in his brilliance because it will not make people sin more. It will cause them to sin less. When, when they realize what Jesus has done for them and accomplished in them, and then when you read passages, and, and it's not told you this before. It gives hints to how you view God. And man, I used to view God as punitive, retaliatory. I, I would read passages like Zechariah when he was in the temple and the angel Gabriel visited it. This old man, remember? And his wife is Elizabeth. And these are the parents to be of John the Baptist, but they don't know it. And he tells him that you're going to, you know, have a son. And basically, my heart goes out to Zachariah because he's an old man. Th- th- think about this. Think about this. I-, I don't know. Let's just imagine. But just knowing how God does stuff, God will usually speak to you several times about something big like that. And I would just suspect that even when they were a young couple, that they may have been in the synagogue one day, and a prophet may have prophesied to them that they and their old that they would bear a son, even though the doctor said she couldn't get pregnant, kind of deal and that she would bear a son, and she never did. And, and time went along, and she never did. Maybe here another visiting my preacher comes by three years later, and he prophesies over him again, and the church is excited, but you never get to see your prophecy come to pass. And now you're old, and she's gone through menopause, and he's passed the time, and, and there's just gonna, not going to be any kid. And, and you know what I love about this guy? He still goes to church. And a lot of people get ill with God and just say, you know, to hell with it. They do. Yeah, they do. I didn't get what I want. I'm mad. I ain't going to church. I don't like God. But I want him to save me. <laughs> or if you're about getting wrecked, they'll holler out, oh, God. <laughs> it's still in you. That's why you hollered, oh, God. But you talk a good talk, okay? But now he's an old man, and here comes this angel, you know, and, he, and, and he's a priest. He's in the ministry. But he didn't quit. He's still doing his deal. Just routine, you know, doing the incense. He's down there. And the, and the angel of the Lord appears on the right side of the altar, it says, and, and he prophesies to him, you're going to have a child. Elizabeth's going to bear us. And, and really the guy, if you look at the, uh, the Greek there, he's literally just saying, how do I know you're not lying to me? <laughs> In other words, man, I can't go home and tell my wife because she's already, I can't go home with this word again, man. 
I mean, we, 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 we done file that one in. It ain't going to happen file. And we're good with it. We're not great with it, but we're good with it. We've got past it. It just didn't happen. We don't know if they were false prophets or what, but we just, you know, we're going on. You know, we know in the end we'll die and go to heaven, glory to God. And so, we're, we're, you know, we're doing our thing. And, and, he, and he said, how do I know? And then Gabriel replies to that by saying, because he's saying, how do I know you're not lying to him? And Gabriel says, because I'm Gabriel. And I stand before God. In other words, Gabriel's not being smart with him. Gabriel's just saying, this is the word of God. I'm a messenger. He's the messenger angel, archangel. I brought a message. This is not from me. This is from God. That's why you can believe in it. He said, now, because you didn't believe, from this day forth thou shalt be dumb. In other words, in the language of that time, unable to speak. How many would just be honest? I used to read that and go, mm-hmm, God got him. Mm, God didn't like that. That ticked God off. That made God mad with him. And God punished him. If he'd have just said he believed, he'd have got to talk that night when he went home. But God spanked him. God disciplined him. Whatever word you want to fill in. Anybody besides me used to read it like that and say, God, I, you know, my question is, and don't, you know, don't, don't raise your hand on this one, but I wonder how many of you, when you read it today, think that way. That God's punitive, retaliatory, and he's paying for his sin. Even great preachers like Charles Spurgeon said that God could not have wrath upon a believer. There is no condemnation, punishment, wrath. I remember one of the most blogs I got so much, you know, response from is I entitled the blog, you, We Are Unpunishable in Jesus. Whew, that got me some mail. I mean, people just couldn't deal with that phrase. We are unpunishable. But I want to say to you again, as a believer, as far as from God, you are unpunishable. For your sin. Even right now in this room, Pastor Keith, several people furrowed their brow. You, you just furrowed your brow. You know what I mean by that? You, you're trying to fit. see that's new. That's why you're here. All right, think about this. I didn't say you're not going to suffer for it. Consequences. I'm just saying God's not behind it. You stick your hand in a fan and it cuts off your fingers. God didn't do it. You did it. You could have did it on accident or on purpose, but God didn't put your hand in there, and he's not trying to teach you how to live without fingers. Big difference, guys. You hear me? So when you commit sin, you do things you commit adultery, you commit fornication, you do, you do sin, you're going to hurt a lot of people. And you're going to suffer for it. Our heart can never be like God's behind it, though. Is God pleased with it? I wouldn't think so. I wouldn't think God's going, yay, they're committing sin. <laughs> no, I, I would say it grieves the Lord because that's what the Bible says. I would say it grieves his heart. It hurts him. What about you when you're a parent and you got kids, whether they're grown or not? When you see them do wrong, does it hurt? You know, I've learned, I, th I used to think it would just be when my kids were little, but even now grown and now they have kids. When my kids do well, I feel good. 
When they're happy, I'm happy. When they're heartbroken, when they're sad, when they're going through tough times, man, it's, I feel it. It's on me. I'm concerned. I'm not, I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Why would God be any different? He's a good daddy. He loves his kids. He didn't want to see you involved in sin, not because you're breaking his rule, but because you're breaking the heart. You're breaking your own heart. People that love you, and God loves you. Just don't do it. Make good choices. But what I'm trying to say to you, listen to this. If Jesus Christ bore the penalty and the wrath of God for sin, then it included your sin. And if now you're having to pay for that sin, then that means Jesus did not pay it, or either it means God is punishing two different people for that same one sin. Charles Spurgeon said that's impossible. You may not have ever heard of him, but every preacher has. I mean, and these guys wrote this, and somehow we've gotten away from people, even like that, that lived in different centuries and different times, had a revelation of God's goodness and the price that Jesus paid for sin. And you, gotta, you, you, you have to see that. And, and so if Jesus paid for it, then there remains zero wrath for you from God. For the believer, no wrath. Why? Jesus took it all. He took that wrath. Now, God wants you to walk in that freedom and in that liberty and walk in that revelation of God's grace in your life. And it's going to be a lot better journey, I promise you. But don't allow passages or people to come trotting out Romans eleven twenty two to you and point their finger at you and say, you see right here, if you don't, do, you know, if you don't walk tight, man, God will cut you off. God will not cut off his own arm. God will not cut off his own hand. God will not self-amputate. You are his body. You are grafted in. You are made one with him. You are one spirit with the Lord. God has joined you stronger than super glue ever could. And God will never allow any of that or no man or anything to put you asunder or to separate you. And God says, I hold you in my hand. And no thing, no man, nothing can snatch you out of my hand. Amen. Would you all give God praise as you stand with me? Amen. You received God's word this morning? Man, you know, Thanksgiving is not something we do once a year. It's how Christians live every day. It really is. I was thinking this week, you know, you can't help but think about Thanksgiving because everybody's talking about it. Some people call it Turkey Day. <laughs> but don't forget to give thanks, whether it's just you or ten people or whatever. I'm amazed at those disciples. Remember before Jesus did a real big meal, broke the loaves and fishes? And then the disciples referred to that one time, and they said, you know, they said, uh, this is the place, remember, where one of the disciples said, where the Lord gave thanks. Because at the beginning of every supernatural thing, the atmosphere for that thing, miracle, is set in conducive for that. Am I saying this right? By the spirit of thanksgiving. How many, how many believe that thanksgiving is, a, is an attribute of kingdom? In other words, God's holiness, God's right, all that's, but, but thanksgiving. And so when Jesus was handed just a little bit, just a few loaves and fishes, and the need was far beyond that, but the Bible says always that he looked up to heaven and he gave thanks. 
And it wasn't a fake thanks. Like, I'm going to thank God because that's a religious thing to do, but I'm not really thankful. Because how many knows God would know the difference? But I'm just saying that in our hearts, man, ain't God been good to us? I mean, he ain't done it like I thought he was going to do it, but he's been good to us. He's been good to us. And it breaks my heart as a preacher of the grace of God for people to trot out verses like Romans 11 and chapters like that and try to use it to scare you and to shake you from that firm foundation that they sung about this morning, his love and his grace. Just don't allow it. It's not that the Bible's wrong, it's their interpretation of it's wrong. God is consistent all through Scripture. And there are passages that, that are challenging, and especially in the Old Covenant. But those passages, if you look at them, and who is he writing to? Who is he talking to in that moment? What's going on at that time? God will help you to understand. But God himself has never changed. He has always been a God of grace. And he will always be a God of grace. He will always be love. He doesn't have it. He is it. The Bible says that he can't deny you because he can't deny himself. He can't cut you off because he can't cut off himself. That's who God is. He does a good job when he joins you to himself. And so let Jesus explain God. Anything you ever think you know about God that you cannot prove in the life of Jesus question it you hear me don't go to the old covenant and try to prove who God is it is not inaccurate but it is absolutely incomplete we needed the revelation of God the father that Jesus brought us and so when you ever begin to doubt God and his love and how he deals with people even people that fail and mess up just start reading the gospels again and see how he deals with people like Peter that denied him the woman caught in adultery people that are sick or broken or wounded or hurt See how he deals with them, what he says to them, what the outcome was, and get a clear picture of who your father is. Amen? He never blessed a storm. He never sent an earthquake. He never condemned somebody to continue to be sick so they could learn a lesson. He never done any of these insane, ridiculous, religious things that people talk about and say. But he is good. Through and through, every time, every day, God's good. Amen? Amen. Is that a good dose of goodness today in God's grace? <laughs> Amen. Give him praise. Amen. My leaders, would you come? Uh, elders and community group leaders, would you guys come? And we're just going to uh, stand here. Man, if you want prayer, we're here to pray for you, to serve you. If you just want to come up and shake a hand and say, uh, you know, I want to, I want to, you know, prayer for this or that. It doesn't matter what the prayer is for. But we're here for you to do that. And uh, we love you guys so much. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And uh, so, Father, we thank you for your goodness. Help us to flee the wrath by coming to where there is no wrath, no punishing in your son Jesus. If any man be in Christ, he's that new creation. And we pray if there's anybody listening to this day that does not know you, I mean know you as real Father and Savior and Lord, I pray that they would release all that religion and just believe in you. Believe in you. God, if they believe in you, there is no wrath for them. There is no punishment for them because Jesus has borne it all. So we give you praise for that today. We give thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Grace Point. If you want prayer, please come. We're here for you. God bless you.